Hi, whenever you're listening to me, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arakali and this is today's Tech Briefing. In this program, Well, I feel rather fortunate that as a non-techie and a woman, I was able to lead from the front and set up key businesses and advise CXOs of top organizations. But it did definitely bother me that in many cases, I was the only woman in the room. That's after these headlines. Freshworks will become perhaps the first Indian founder-led cloud software venture to become a publicly listed company in the US later today. The company will sell 28.5 million shares or about 10% of its stock at $36 each on strong demand after initially setting a range of $28 to $32 and then raising it to $32 to $34. In addition, Freshworks has granted the underwriters a 30-day option to purchase up to an additional 2.85 million shares of Class A common stock at the initial public offering price, less underwriting discounts and commissions. The IPO will close on September 24th, the company said in a press release. At $36 a share, Freshworks will raise about $1 billion and have a market value of $10 billion based on the outstanding shares listed in its filings. with the US Securities and Exchange Commission accounting for employee stock options and restricted stock units the company would have a fully diluted value of more than 11 billion dollars according to Bloomberg the Indian state of Karnataka passed an amendment to the Karnataka Police Act 1963 to ban online games of chance economic times reports Chief Minister Basavaraj Bommai said the law does not prohibit online games that strictly comply with games of skill features. The government however will deal with operators and abettors who run games of chance camouflaged as games of skill the chief minister said. Even those skill games that involve the risk of a player losing money would invite action under the law he said according to ET Amazon announced the next generation of Kindle Paperwhite e-readers with two new models an all new Kindle Paperwhite and a first Kindle Paperwhite signature edition the new generation combines premium hardware faster performance and a redesigned user interface for a more enjoyable reading experience Amazon said yesterday in a press release the new Kindle Paperwhite has a larger 6.8 inch display with 300 ppi resolution a new adjustable warm light and increased battery life while the new signature edition adds an auto adjusting light sensor and is the first kindle to offer wireless charging both models get usb type c ports for charging pre-orders started yesterday with the kindle paperwhite shipping from october 27th and the kindle paperwhite signature edition shipping from november 4th the new paperwhite starts at just under 14000 rupees Yulu an e-bike startup has partnered with Adani Electricity Mumbai Limited Mumbai's largest power distribution utility to expand its network of battery powered mopeds In this collaboration Adani Electricity will provide electricity to Yulu to charge its electric bikes at multiple locations spread across Mumbai Adani and Yulu plan to install over 500 battery swapping stations in the next 18 months Kanan Rai joined Google fresh out of college with a degree in English literature but went on to play a strong role in building AdMob and Google Play helping developers sharpen the business end of their endeavors in India Rai spent 13 years at the internet giant before leaving in April this year 
Recently, she was named to the latest list of women achievers by the gaming-focused VC firm Lumikai through its Path Breakers Award. I spoke to Kanan about her experience, as she put it, as a non-techie and a woman building businesses within Google. Here's more. Kanan, uh, thank you so much for making time for this podcast. Uh, welcome. And uh, to get us started, uh, for people who are not familiar with your work, uh, perhaps you could tell us a bit about it. Uh, you've spent uh, almost 13 years at Google, uh, where you've been a founding member of teams that uh, developed AdMob and Google Play and so on. So tell us a bit about your work. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Ari. It's it's really, really great to be here. Uh, so I actually joined Google in 2008. That means I spent the last 13 years at Google. And uh, when I joined, uh, Google was in the middle of some pretty interesting deals. Uh, they had just acquired Android and YouTube and AdMob had not even been acquired. So it was like a really long time ago. Uh, so the next 13 years for me were like a roller coaster ride with some really remarkable people and milestones. Um, I started out at the entry-level basic AdWords uh, team, but I quickly moved on to a sales team a couple of years later. Uh, and I was lucky enough to manage clients like Tesla. And, you know, everyone knows Tesla uh, now, but back then, you know, they were a really uh, new age technology. They were doing some really interesting things. So this is way back in 2011 that I was sort of working very closely with Tesla and helping them develop their digital marketing strategy. From there, I moved on to the online publishing business and I was leading the ad more business for Google, for Google in India. And I was the first hire. Uh, uh, I was able to grow the business many folds in the next couple of years. A lot of great learning for me. I met a lot of really interesting developers. Um, and for me, it was a very new experience because I was setting up an entire business by myself for the first time. And funnily enough, I found the ambiguity and the chaos of building that very, very exciting. Uh, and uh, as a result, right after, I joined Google Play BD. And again, I was the founding member of the team. Um, and what I did at Google Play was uh, act, I was an advisor to some of the top tech companies, which meant that I worked closely with some of the smartest minds of the tech world in India and just sort of advising them on product and business strategy for their apps and gaming business. And, uh, you know, for me, again, that was really interesting because I was working with people who build products that I consumed almost every day, like think Disney, Amazon, LinkedIn, Uber, Airbnb. And, you know, closer to home, companies like Flipkart, Hotstar, Make My Trip, Beju, Zumato, whoever you can think of from a tech perspective. And uh, even more interesting for me personally was working with emerging startups because that gave me a sense of what are the new things that are coming up and, uh, you know, how frugal, uh, how frugally they were operating and operating at scale in many cases. And in, in some cases, one or two member teams in obscure parts of the country uh, who were building phenomenal tech solutions. So I was lucky to see the impact at both a global as well as a local scale. And that was really rewarding for me. Mm. Uh, so pretty clear that you've helped uh, developers, big and small, uh, do better on their uh, business end of their uh, work within the Android ecosystem, I'd imagine. Uh, tell us, maybe you could dive down into this a little bit more, uh, talk about your experiences interacting with uh, especially the emerging uh, startups and developers. 
So, um, you know, in in both teams at the beginning, I was a one member team. So working at an ecosystem level and being able to help developers that were doing fantastic work, but they were struggling in their own right was, you know, great because you can really make an impact for these small developers. Uh, but to create an impact at an ecosystem level when you're just one person, it was really, really important. So events is, was the first thing that came to mind. So in the last eight years, I think I've spoken at over 100 events and I spent a lot of time with VCs because that helps you identify, you know, who are the ones that are really, uh, who have high potential growth. Uh, I worked with startup villages. Uh, I spent time with incubators and and they're making meeting some very cool startups. So uh, for instance, one of the developers I met uh, was building an app solution, but only as a hobby, right? Like they were three brothers, all engineers, and they all had full-time jobs and they didn't really have that much time to invest in post-production. They've built the product, they think it's cool and that's it because they have to go back to the 95. Uh, for them, it was just another app. But what was interesting for me was, you know, after I found, you know, I met them and I thought there was potential, we worked together for about three to six months. And not only were they able to build a business out of it, but it was a business that was making them hundreds of thousands of dollars. And needless to say, you know, if they're making that kind of money, they quickly left their jobs and employed other people who sort of helped uh, grow that as a business. And in other cases, uh, you know, we just gave teams that we were working with a platform. Um, uh, For instance, a small early stage startup from Kerala, was solving for something as simple as cooking, right? A everyday, everyday use case. But they were using AI in a very interesting way. And we sort of flew them down to San Francisco for one of the large tech events and gave them a platform to showcase the kind of work they were doing. And just being at that global stage opened a lot of doors for them. That was, again, really interesting. Um, and so because I had this passion for working with startups, uh, I ran a project in 2018 for high potential startups. We handpicked about 15 companies at a, you know, early, early stage companies and worked closely with them and built a custom track for each and every startup based on what their needs and stage of growth was. For instance, if a startup was struggling, get, uh, struggling with users who were not willing to pay, we just ran some A-B tests because Obviously, the users like the product, which is why they were spending time on it uh, and not churning. So we ran some A-B tests and eventually decided to go deep with just one segment that we identified was most likely to convert. And that experiment worked out really well. So we were able to create impact in some form or the other for every startup in that cohort. So it's pretty cool that a lot of developers that I started working with early on are now either unicorns or on their way to be unicorns. Awesome. Uh, what are some of the important uh, takeaways and uh, some of the important trends that you have seen uh, in the way uh, folks are building software products, uh, building in India for India? I mean, I say that because obviously on the SaaS and cloud software front for business software, uh, the ecosystem is beginning to mature. Uh, that's clear. And they're targeting the US market. But uh, what are some of the emerging areas and trends you're seeing in software for India? Uh, either on the consumer front or on the business front, but focused on India. Sure. So SaaS is definitely very interesting. I mean, just look about three to four years ago, India did not have a single SaaS unicorn. And today we have nine SaaS unicorns. Uh, And this would have been very hard to predict even like six years ago. Like we would have thought it'll take longer. And a lot of these 
uh, you know, these companies are focusing on the West because they feel that's where the money is to be made. Uh, cloud is again another really interesting one because, uh, you know, it's beginning, becoming crucial for almost every business to have cloud presence and we're seeing interesting innovations like cloud gaming even in a country like India. Um, you know, th there are startups who are focusing on that and they're figuring out the right way to monetize, which is the right market to focus. But if you look at the rest of the market at a category level and what's happening there, there are obviously some more mature uh, categories like e-com, travel, education, where consolidation has already happened, right? Uh, you have giants like Flipkart, Make My Trip, Bear Juice, and Bear Juice is now the most valuable edtech company in the world, valued at sixteen and a half billion dollars. Um, you look at um, media and entertainment, and they saw a huge boom during the pandemic because everyone was cooped in. There were no big releases, uh, but these are giants with deep pockets. Uh, and original content. Whereas if you see some of the startups who came up in that space, you know, they, they weren't able to go very, very far. Either they got acquired or uh, they died. Um, so, but some interesting categories, I think, you know, whether, whether, which are worth looking out for um, are health tech. I think it's a unique space with a lot of new entrants. Um, the technology, I think, will be a game changer, especially in the way healthcare services are being delivered given the current pandemic. Um, if you look at fintech, it's it's booming. In just six months, we've seen about $2 billion in investments. And fintech as a category is valued at over $31 billion. So huge potential. There's a lot of innovation happening there. Uh, another interesting one is agri-tech. You know, uh, the coming of tech and agriculture has been very interesting, especially as in uh, something that, that that improves prediction, sustainability, and as a system that can be far more efficient as uh, compared to the traditional system. And a lot of innovation happening here as well. Um, moving on to then something like gaming. And, you know, I'm going to go back in time a little bit where about, say, 50 years ago, landlines were a luxury for the common man, right? And 25 years ago, PCs were a luxury. And gaming consoles, they have always been a luxury. Even today, what percentage of the country can actually afford something like gaming consoles? So the average Indian has never used any of these products. Their first touch with the internet was not the PC or the laptop. The first phone was not a landline and the first gaming device was not a console. So all three, you know, the uh, the internet, uh, the telephone, as well as gaming have all sort of come together. They All three needs were fulfilled by the new age smartphone and all at once. Um, and, you know, we've seen some very interesting trends in the last couple of years and everyone knows about the rise of PUBG um, and the other, uh, you know, game of significance that was a local player was Ludo. Uh, so what we saw was this a phenomenal demand for quality games. Um, and there is a willingness from users or gamers in India to spend money. Um, and that happened because of, you know, free availability of internet and, you know, demonetization also contributed where people were more comfortable with digital spending. And uh, I think the problem, unfortunately, is a content gap in India and that needs to be plugged. So um, now gaming and social casino uh, you know, are being regarded as one and people are seeing the tremendous success of games of skill. And there are over 300 million Indians who play online games on a regular basis. So I think, I think the potential is definitely there. Uh, and being a very, very social 
country, I think social is obviously the key category. So India is the number one country in terms of social app downloads in the world. There's been a huge boom of user-generated content apps, especially since the ban of certain Chinese apps in the country. You have everything from short-form video to microblogging to networking to what have you, and lots of great innovation happening in this space. And the key metric here is almost never installs, but always the time spent by users along with churn rates. And, uh, you know, across categories, I think COVID has also brought out the best of Indian entrepreneurs. I mean, just the kind of um, pivoting companies did and how they adapted their business to the need of the hour uh, has been phenomenal. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, on the content gap front, I mean, one thing that was on my mind was uh, the rise. I mean, and as you mentioned, over through the time that coincided with COVID, the rise of uh, uh, local language uh, vernacular startups and some of the big names today like uh, ShareChat, uh, Daily Hunt, uh, Pratilipi, they have all uh, managed to find good funding and great investors as well. And, uh, and of course, Google also has backed some of these names. Uh, so what what do you see in this area uh, happening that really kind of, inter- you know, uh, that you find as uh, something that is an indicator of the way things are developing and how do you see it actually evolving in the coming uh, days and years? Well, local language content is obviously key as, you know, people look to onboard the next billion internet users. And, you know, that's, and we've seen a lot of different experiments over the years. So look, looking back about 10 years ago, I was helping on, I was working on the website site and the objective was to help websites monetize through our ads business. And what we realized then was the internet in India was primarily in English and the fact of the matter was that less than 15% of the country actually spoke English. So we went and worked with local news platforms that were primarily off, offline thing, Dainik Jagrande, Bhaskar, Manorma, and we helped them upgrade their online presence from what, what they used to do was just scan the newspapers. And obviously that's a fairly clunky experience. So we shifted their digital presence from scanned copies of the newspapers or magazines to actual websites. And because we had enabled these websites to make money, they started booming because thousands of people were coming to their websites every single day to consume this content. Now, this proved there is a clear demand for local language content on the internet and there was money to be made in this space. Now, moving on to transactional platforms, because this is content platforms, right? Many of them were investing in localizing the apps, like think, uh, you know, a lot of the travel and e-commerce apps uh, and even OEMs like Micromax, et cetera, took the plunge and launched smartphones that were marketed as Tamil phone, Hindi phone, uh, you know, Bengali phone. And what we found was there were no takers. And we ran some tests and we found the same thing in our studies. So, you know, what we realized was India obviously is very aspirational and English is the as- language of, you know, the aspirational Indian uh, user. Uh, so we learned that users who didn't even speak or understand English would still set their uh, operating system language to English and they wanted any commerce or transactional or tool apps to be in English. And if you look at the last few years, fast forwarding in time, there has been a boom of con- there's been a boom of content in local languages. And this is because the new smartphone users are coming from tier two, tier three cities and the rural centers who are far more comfortable in their local language. Uh, and in many cases, they are the ones creating the content because these are UGC platforms. Um, so vernacular is absolutely key as we look at the next two to four years. Uh, 
from a digital content perspective and we're also seeing a fair amount of adoption on voice because for these new users it's so much easier for new uh, for them to communicate in their language through speech rather than having to type beat in any language so that's that should be another important consideration for anybody who's building uh, a tech platform hmm. okay so uh, i thought uh, we could get into two subjects uh, with with the following question about uh, gaming since you've mentioned them a few times uh, you wrote recently or rather you pointed out recently on linkedin about how there is quietly this uh, groundswell of women among game developers in india probably uh, even more under recognized uh, you know as a fact uh, you know than the idea that gaming industry itself is growing quite rapidly in this market um and you've been recognized among uh, the vc firm lumica's uh, pathbreakers award for women i think related to gaming and uh, interactive media uh, so what what did you see or what are your thoughts on uh, women in gaming and as an extension maybe you could also talk about women in tech so i have always been a strong advocate for diversity in the workplace and diversity not for the sake of diversity because people of all backgrounds including women should have an equal shot at the opportunity um just a couple of years ago at a gaming conference in india there were i think seven of us seven women including the organizers and we thought wow this is so cool let's get a picture together because it's such a rarity um so just gaming specifically has challenges on of its own you know even if you would keep the uh, the diversity aspect separate um because when you think of what am i going to do when i grow up most parents don't even see it as a viable career for their children uh, and see gaming you know gamers as wasting their time now this might be completely different if we had a number of billion dollar gaming companies in india and if women were in leadership positions there you know a lot more women you know while while this in schools would aspire to be in gaming and uh, you know parents would be encouraging of it now things are changing rapidly you know india has increased the number of gamers many fold and interestingly a large percentage of new gamers are women in india and uh, recently we saw the first indian gaming company ipo and the second is around the corner and then you know you spoke about lumikai it's the first fund in india that is entirely devoted to gaming and they're running a feature to recognize women in gaming and google too has many such initiatives where they recognize women game developers say by featuring their games on the store and game gamers by running campaigns like play like a girl um just a couple of years ago i was an indian woman on stage at the world's largest gaming conference in san francisco and all these little things and initiatives add up and make a huge difference hmm fair enough um so let's let's talk about uh, another subject that you're quite passionate about uh, uh being being a woman leader and what's that experience been over the last uh, 13 years <laughs> well i feel rather fortunate that as a non techy and in a woman i was able to lead from the front and set up key businesses and advise cxos of top organizations but it did definitely bother me that in many cases i was the only woman in the room um you know even recently when i was speaking to um an in an industry influencer about you know what's next and you know he asked me uh, what my family situation was and obviously that you know implied whether i'm planning to go on um, mat leave or if i'm planning kids or if you know i need to stay home and take care of the family and things like that and you know it it did i did wonder that would he be asking me that question if if i was a man right so yeah it 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 does feel wrong that so many talented women who have so much potential are unable to take those 
first steps to just you know step out and get a job or even at a basic level believe that they can so while i believe at a high level a leader is a leader and you know irrespective of their gender it's important to allow natural leaders to take their rightful place by creating an environment where they can not only participate but also flourish and it's it's ironic i feel that women at an early stage of their career work so hard just to prove themselves and by the time that they're ready for middle management they're forced to leave because they're balancing far too many things single handedly so in many cases it's a choice of taking care of personal responsibilities full time or a stunned unfulfilled job that they'll want to leave anyway and in india 40% of the women are affected simply because they're the primary custodians of domestic life and it's unrealistic for them to manage the burden of running a household and a full-time job yeah you know while we were discussing doing this podcast episode uh, with you you uh, talked about having your set of uh, guiding principles you know, that that helps you deal with this uh, at, you know in your own uh, work tell us about that <laughs> um so you know i've i've learned a lot in my professional journey and uh, but i have five principles that you know i always turn to the first is to think big and uh it's it's very easy to get caught up in everyday work but it's important to take a step away uh, and just think about what is your vision what is the big picture and how can you make it even bigger and achieve it so that's the first thinking big the second is making sure that you're always creating impact in whatever you're doing whether it's big or small so think of the ecosystem think of your organization think of your team and then think of yourself and always be aware of the end goal that you know i'm chasing and make making sure i'm always moving towards it because it's all it's very very easy to sort of deter um the third was to most important to having faith and believing in yourself and the ability to succeed and i think this is a, a huge problem with women where they're always questioning themselves so it's easy to fall prey to self doubt and lose confidence but it's in that moment that you need to pick yourself up and do more and do better um another one is just understanding what growth means for you like there are so many ways to define growth but it's important to think deeply about what motivates you and what are the key, key milestones that you want to go after and why and finally uh, you know have a strong work ethic you know own the job own the project and just be responsible okay brilliant now kanan uh, insightful conversation but i guess in the interest of time we'll have to stop this one here and i uh, always uh, tell my guests that i hope to continue the conversation keep the conversation going looking forward to that ali Thank you so much for having me. That was Kanan Rai. That's it for this briefing. You can find all our podcasts on forbesindia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakli. Thank you for listening.